Hey, you're listening to Yo, This Can't Be Life, the podcast that aims to educate and inform Black women on how to take better care of their physical, mental, and financial health. I'm your host, Bree Montgomery, and I'm inviting you to join me as I interview resident experts to find out the cheat codes to living your best life. The information provided is intended to be general advice and should not be considered medical advice. For that, please consult your medical professional. Dr. Finwa Famakina Milhouse is a fellowship-trained urologist who specializes in female pelvic medicine and urogenital reconstruction. She was born in Nigeria, and her family immigrated to the United States when she was a toddler after her father was awarded a scholarship to get his Ph.D. in geology. She grew up in Texas and ended up at the University of Texas at Houston for medical school. She attended the University of Chicago for urology residency, learning from some of the most innovative academic urologists there. She volunteers for an organization in Chicago that focuses on the enrichment of young black girls, but she is the most passionate about telling young people about urology and mentoring underrepresented minorities pursuing urology. And at this point, I would like to welcome Dr. Finwa Milhouse to the show. Thank you for having me. It's been, it's a pleasure to be here. As been introduced, my name is Fenwa Milhouse. I'm a physician, a board-certified urologist with a subspecialty focus on the female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgery. So I did a full urology residency, and then I did a fellowship extra after residency that focused on more like female issues in urology, if you will. I am also a wife and a mother. I have two bonus kids, and I have a seven-year-old, so I'm a mother of three. And I'm originally from Nigeria, born. And so my parents and I, family, are immigrants. And we have been in the United States for the majority of my life at this point. And I live in Chicago area. I live in the suburbs of Chicago currently. Um, So that's a little bit about me. Oh, wonderful. Okay. So how did you decide to specialize in urology? Well, I love sharing this story because it just shows how representation really matters and makes a difference. I had no idea what urology was until I got to medical school. Didn't even know what it was until then. Uh, When somebody had mentioned urology and I had to go look it up uh, at Google. (laughs) And when I Googled it, I thought, oh, well, this sounds like a male specialty for men, by men. And particularly because it was a surgical subspecialty and, you know, most surgeons that representations of surgeons that I knew in my head were were men, particularly white men. So I had no inclination that it was something that I wanted to do or could do. And it wasn't until later in my second year of medical school, so a whole almost two years from when I first learned about what urology was, when I was given a lecture by our interim chair in urology who happened to be an African-American woman. And when she stepped into our class to give us a very brief urology lecture. It probably was maybe 15, 20 minutes. I was just blown away in awe of her because I didn't have this representation of urology being anything but men, particularly white men. And here is this black woman who looks like me, who's a, you know, successful urologist giving us a lecture. So I honestly was just gravitated to her in that moment and just thought, wow, uh, I think she's a badass and I want to be a badass like that too. You know, just her presence, her being in this field that is predominantly men, 
and definitely already predominantly white. I just, you know, that was so cool to me. So basically that experience and spending time with her and other urologists who were also very welcoming and warming and just, I loved what they did. And I mm -hmm. quickly found my home. Right. Well, I'm yeah. so glad, you know, that it's interesting how that 15 and 20 minutes like changed the course of your life. It really but did. You're absolutely correct. Representation matters because it's been plenty of times with a lot of people where you didn't see yourself in places simply because you'd never seen it before. Yeah. So when we're talking about a urologist, what types of things do you treat? So urologists are surgeons who specialize in the urinary tract system. So we do anatomic abnormalities that involve the kidneys, something called the ureters, which are the tubes that connect the kidneys to the bladder, the bladder, and then through the urethra. That's where you pee out of. We urologists also specialize in male reproductive abnormalities. So we do a lot of like male sexual health type things. We deal with the male sexual organs, so prostate, which is part of male sexual organs. You know, um, we'll deal with prostate cancer, you know, one of the many things that can uh, potentially affect the prostate. And then obviously down through the other external male genitalia, testicles, the penis, the urethra. We also do, that doesn't mean that we just see men because women have bladders and have urethras and have kidneys and have ureters too. And so we deal with parts of you, and this is where my subspecialty is, is like pelvic floor issues that affect the bladder and the urinary tract, the urethra, urethra abnormalities that deal, that women have to deal with. And so we can kind of a little bit cross over into this gray area that kind of looks a little bit like gynecology sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, we are surgeons, so we operate, um, but we also deal with a lot of conditions, medical conditions that don't need operations that we manage in the office. So we have a pretty even mix of like surgical conditions that we manage and then medical conditions that we may manage. Okay. So when we're talking about, cause I feel like bladder infections are pretty common in women. Very. So when we're talking about bladder infections are, and in, UTIs or urinary tract infections, are those the same things? Can we use those interchangeably? You can. And I certainly do in my clinic and patients will ask me that same question. So urinary tract infection is a gen general term for an infection of, again, the urinary tract. And the urinary tract isn't just the bladder. It includes the kidneys and ureters. Majority majority of the urinary tract infections, when we say UTI, urinary tract we're talking about bladder infections, vast, vast majority, 90 plus percent, okay? There's a minority of, of infections that involve the kidney when we talk about a UTI, which is why you can you will hear those terms used interchangeably. Um, okay. When I am talking about a kidney infection, I will, I, most urologists I know additionally will specify kidney infection. We won't usually use the term UTI if we're talking about a kidney infection. Um, just because UTIs are almost always thought to be, you know, well, the, the most common thing, which is a bladder infection. So does a kidney infection stem from a bladder infection or can you get a kidney infection that just starts there? You can. You can get a kidney infection that, that starts there. You can get what we call an ascending infection, bladder infection that goes up to the kidney. 
Now, again, the likelihood of that happening in, in the average person who even has, you know, I, I see women who have back to 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 back UTIs or bladder infections. Majority of them and the average risk does not, it doesn't develop into a kidney infection. But you can have a kidney infection that just starts in the kidney. You know, let's say you have a stone and you're passing a stone that's blocking the flow of urine from your kidney to the bladder. You can have an infection that just literally starts because of that blockage of urine that's stagnant sitting in your kidney causing an infection. If you have a anatomic abnormality, meaning you were born with or developed an anatomic thing that blocks the flow of your urine from your kidneys or a malformation that affects the flow of your kidneys, that you can have infections that, you know, start from the kidney. Okay. Exactly what are kidney stones? So kidney stones are basically, think of it like minerals that are saturated in our urine and then can form into an actual calculi or stone. And so the kidney, think of the kidney as this super complex filtration system. So like any filtration system that delivers like clean water or whatever, you know, filters out certain things. Um, The kidney is filtering out certain things and then excreting certain things in our urine. And so through that filtration system, you go into the urine goes through what's called the collecting system. The collecting system is just like the pipes. So think of it like plumbing. The collecting system is the part of the kidney that basically where urine will drain down and eventually we will pee it out. And so if the filtration system is saturated for one reason or another with an imbalance of certain minerals that we excrete, then it can form and precipitate out into an actual stone that passes through our collecting system. And if it's passing through down into our th- towards our bladder, we can get that quintessential kidney stone attack or pain. Wow, okay. And what, if anything, can we do to kind of reduce or eliminate kidney stones from even forming? Well, a lot of kidney stones are a result of our diet, particularly with every generation we've we're seeing like younger stone formers, uh, it used to be that it was mostly a higher risk in men. Uh, now that risk is evening out because women are becoming more and more stone formers. So diet has a large part to what for majority of stones. And so certain things that we can do, these are like the general, you know, stone prevention tips that we give everybody is number one, um, if this is about uh, precipitation and saturation, you want to dilute your urine. Okay, a diluted urine has a less likely chance of precipitating out a stone. So we say a minimum of 64 ounces of fluids. Now that is a minimum, okay? If you are out and playing sports outside or if it's hot, you know, during the summer months, if you're, you know, sweating a lot, if you are have a higher body mass, just a bigger person, you're probably going to need more than just that 64 ounces to replace what you're losing, okay? So a minimum 64 ounces, which most of us do not do, including myself, and I'm working better at that. 64 ounces, if you can imagine the four 16-ounce, you know, glasses of water that you want to, or the bottles of water, I should say, is what you want to aim for at minimum. So that's one major, major tip. Another thing that patients oftentimes don't know 
is that um, the most common stones that we see, which are basically like calcium type stones, are increased with sodium intake. And most of us get plenty of sodium in our diet, even if we don't add actual table salt into things. We uh, have sodium or uh, sodium chloride is in a lot of the ingredients in foods, snacks, drinks, whatever that we ingest. And so looking at labels and checking out your sodium intake is very eye-opening. We want to ideally stay no, no greater than two grams a day. Other foods that have been associated with stones, particularly calcium stones, include spinach, tea, nuts, rhubarb, chocolate. These are all what we call high in oxalate. Oxalate is ubiquitous, meaning that it's in a lot of things, but these foods and drinks have a lot of oxalate in them, and that is a common binder to calcium stones. And so we uh, recommend reducing or um, eating those sparingly. I meet a lot of patients who are like, but these some of these things are healthy. Spinach is healthy, but you know, nuts can be healthy. I'm like, it's not about healthiness when it comes to stones. It's it's chemistry. So, and then. Uh, there's something called citrate. Citrate is a natural stone inhibitor, which is a good thing, okay? And so the lemons have high citrate in them, and particularly uh, we recommend like crystallite lemonade. Uh, you're all just like crystallite lemonade because it's been studied. It's also sugar-free, and it has a decent amount of citrate. Or squeezing lemon into your water or lemon juice, this is... can can decrease your risk of stones. So these are some of the common ways that we all recommend. That is good to know. And I recently yes. just found out about oxalates myself. And cause I'm like your patients, I, I'm like, wait, these things are healthy. Yeah. How could they be causing me issues? But yeah. I did kind of take out spinach and I've been doing better. So yeah. it is true. Yeah. It's, it's so many layers into trying to get healthy and customizing things to your own body. Because it's just so complex. Agree. Agree. Yeah. Okay. So I know we talked about amount of water and everything like that. Now, I know people were saying that they're you know, indications in your urine as far as like the color and the smell what types of things should we look out for to have an indication that something is kind of not quite right? Well, number one, smell of urine is usually not a clinically significant indicator. Okay. okay. So patients will commonly say, my urine smells, and that's their only complaint. And, you know, it, again, smelly urine isn't a specific sign of anything deranged. And I tell patients, you know, what you drink or what you don't drink, you know, drinking enough, not, or certain things you drink, certainly certain meds, um, maybe foods can change the, you know, can alter the smell of urine. People will say, well, it smells particularly like ammonia-y or particularly strong. Again, usually not an indicator clinically of something, it's not a specific indicator of that. So if that's, if that's the only complaint, I usually, and I usually tell patients to be reassured that it's not really a thing that we consider as um, a big problem. Now, your urine should be pale yellow, ideally. You know, um, if it's really uh, bright yellow, yellow or like deep yellow, dark yellow, 
then that probably is an indicator that you might need to drink some more, okay? You might need to increase your hydration. If you're drinking plenty, you may notice that your urine is like really clear, you know, almost clear as water. And that's not a bad thing necessarily. Um, obviously, other colors would be something we would want you to see, you know, a, your doctor for. So if your urine is bloody, red, blood tinged, whatever, you need to talk to your doctor about that and let them know. You shouldn't ever ignore bloody urine. Maybe it's just a sign of, a, again, a bladder infection or UTI. But, you know, particularly if you're a smoker, because smoking is a risk of uh, cancer in the urinary tract, blood in the urine may be a sign of something more serious. So that's a color that you don't want to ignore. Amber colored urine, almost like tea colored. Again, that may be an indication that your kidneys are not getting enough fluids, that they might be, you might be very dehydrated and you should probably let your doctor know about that as well. Okay. So I know you spoke before about people having recurrent urinary tract infections. How do you determine whether to keep going to your primary care physician or to upgrade to going to a urologist? This is an excellent, excellent, excellent question. (laughs) Because I see so many people with UTIs and some of them, I think, don't need to see me, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, you probably didn't need to see me, you know, (laughs) you don't warrant the specialist just for now. So honestly, UTIs, particularly in women, so let's just stop, talked about women just for a second, um, uniquely are very common. Okay. Like I was saying earlier, very, very common. And so if you get one to two bladder infections or UTIs a year, you don't really want to see you. That's pretty, unfortunately, that's very, you know, that's just, you know, very common, somewhat normal, if you would say. Um, If you're getting, we, we consider recurrent UTIs to be three or more in a year. And when I say three or more, the other thing that urologist and infectious disease specialists are really, really, really pay attention to is the culture results. So too many times I see patients who say I have, I've had all these UTIs, but I look and they've never had a urine culture done. They've maybe just been given antibiotics without testing their urine. Maybe somebody's just tested it as what we call a quick dipstick or quick urinalysis in the office, which is basically like a preliminary uh, way that we just kind of look at different variables in the urine. It, however, is not the way we should confirm if the UTI exists or not because it's can, it can be misleading. It does not tell us what organism is growing and what and what antibiotic works, you know, is susceptible to it. So culture should be done every single time. And I will say this, and not to poo-poo on my urgent care providers, but I do see quite a bit of that, like if you go to a quick clinic or a minute clinic or an urgent care, they may or may not send your urine off for culture because that takes a few days to come back. So I suspect that maybe they don't send it out because trying to contact the patient after they've left your urgent care may be a little bit logistically challenging or something. But ideally, a culture should be done. So we mean three or more culture-proven symptomatic UTIs in a year. 
Um, and then that would be an appropriate referral to a urologist. Under that, you know, again, is not something you usually need to see a urology for. If you've had, now that's for your plain uh, bladder infections. Let's say you've had a couple of kidney infections. I'm talking bona fide kidney infections. I mean, mm -hmm. you're hospitalized or something and you have, you know, more severe infection. That may be something that then you would get referred to a urologist, which seems reasonable as well. Patients, men will sometimes get referred to see us after their first bladder infection or UTI, just because men are less likely to have a UTI or bladder infection. And so those are the relative indications for potentially seeing a urologist. But please don't come to a urologist just for your, like, your UTI that's you just like your first time UTI. Don't come to us for one or two UTIs that you have every so often in a year um, or less frequently. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I've been hearing back and forth, like one week, you know, it's like cranberry extract helps. And then the next week it's like, no, don't even bother. It's been uh -huh. disproven. What are yeah. your thoughts on cranberry extract or any other kind of at-home helps uh, to treat a UTI? Okay, so cranberry has been studied, ex cranberry juice, cranberry extract, and the data just is not compelling that it makes a difference. Okay. So I tell patients, ditch the juice, okay? Just stop drinking it. It's not making a difference. It's probably adding sugar, even if it's sugar-free, then, you know, maybe this or that. It's just not helping. A bunch of, there's a bunch of cranberry pills on the market. Some on the counter. They'll see these many milligrams of cranberry and this and that. Honestly, that is not, that, that information is not useful um, and beneficial. So the one thing we have, we do believe can help is um, a high-dose uh, cranberry supplement that has at least 36 milligrams of proanthocyanidins. That is the active ingredient that has been shown, and that, that amount has been shown to decrease UTIs, okay, decrease bacterial adherence to the bladder wall. And so if the, if the uh, supplement doesn't list milligrams of PACs. It's usually shortened to PACs or proanthocyanidins, but PAC is the same thing. If it doesn't show the dose of that, then you can basically assume that they don't want you to know or they're not, they don't have, you know, they don't have a, a substantial amount. Uh, the ones that have 36 milligrams or more, they're going to, they're going to put that on there because they do know that the specialists like me are going to say, hey, this is what really matters. So okay. yeah, cranberry supplement, there are a few cranberry supplements out there that I do recommend and will, you know, recommend, encourage my patients to try and use that have, that have worked. Okay. Yeah. One, there's a brand and I'm not paid by them. They don't, you know, called Allura, E-L-L-U-R-A. They have a website called My Allura, M-Y-E-L-L-U-R-A. And they have um, 36 milligrams of PAC, and they've been um, around for a while. And I will oftentimes instruct patients to go there. Okay. 
Thank you for that. And And are there any other things, natural type of things that we can do? Sure. So probiotics is another thing I hear patients kind of know. Oh, I think probiotics and probiotics aren't bad. Probiotics are like good bacteria that can help. You know, you, you bacteria, the word bacteria isn't always bad. There's good bacteria, good flora there around um, our urogenital tract that basically think of them as like the like guards, okay, at the gate. You know, they're, you know, keeping people out. They're like security at the club, you know, no, you know. So you want those, you want that good bacteria there to help scavenge out the bad one. And so probiotics... Can be beneficial there is a supplement called d slash manos and we will usually recommend that for patients who have recurrent e coli bladder infections e coli is the most common bug or organism or cause of a bladder infection patients all oftentimes will freak out like e coli oh my god i how did i get that and it's just because it's you know um it's um very common to get easily to get into our urinary tract. So if you have recurrent E. coli infections, D-mannose can help block the adherence to the bladder wall. Um, D-mannose is found at Whole Foods, Fruitful Yield, and on Amazon. Um, and then lastly, uh, this is particularly this for post-menopausal women. So not women like you and I, Brie, at this point, but met patients who have gone through menopause we strongly recommend if you are a woman who suffers from recurrent UTIs, the actually what's the most beneficial for those women would be vaginal estrogen cream. So replacing some estrogen vaginally in the form of a topical cream or sometimes as in a suppository can help to change the pH of the outside of the urethra and the vagina in such a way that reduces the bad bacteria and it increases good bacteria. So it's been shown to be probably even more beneficial than cranberry supplements in these group of women. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So what happens when you have what you think to be a urinary tract infection? It's kind of given a lot of the same symptoms, mm-hmm. but there is no bacterial involvement. Mm. What, what, what is usually the cause of that? Well, first of all, I'm really big on being antibiotic stewards. What that means is we need to be judicious, conservative with antibiotics because, you know, quite frankly, we get exposed to too many antibiotics. We're mm-hmm. easily, you know, too easily we're given a prescription for things that we probably don't need an antibiotic for. And the problem with that is we will... Uh, organisms are evolving. They're smart human, they're smart not human beings. They're smart biologic beings. And so they evolve and become resistant. And so this antibiotic that you didn't need, now when you do need it, you might have the organism that's there in your body, you may have been resistant to it now. So this is why I really harp on making sure you get a culture done. Ideally, you wait for the culture result to know which antibiotic to use first. I know that concept might be difficult for some patients to think like, I have to wait, like what if something happens or what? Like most likely nothing's gonna happen. Now, your typical symptoms of a bladder infection, most common are pain with urination, constant urge for urination. And those symptoms you can help by drinking more water, Okay, that helps to kind of dilute the urine urine so that it's less irritated. You can use over-the-counter bladder 
analgesics like the most common, which is azo for urinary pain relief, azo. It um, is very readily available over the counter, and it basically soothes, soothes the bladder lining and decreases ir irritation, which can significantly decrease the pain with urination and that constant urge. And those things can help your symptoms. And if your symptoms are better, you know, we actually favor symptomatic self-help. Your body, if it has a bacteria, will start to try to fight it. And we write and we uh, favor that over, you know, just giving you antibiotics at every knee-jerk prescription. Now, let's say you're still have very symptoms and the culture comes back negative, then other things that it might be and you need to rule out, I always rule out chlamydia and gonorrhea. You know, what if this is a chlamydial um, urethritis where you get infl inflammation of the urethra and you can get the symptoms of like burning or pain when you urinate. Chlamydia and gonorrhea tend to be asymptomatic in most women in particular, but there are some that may have symptoms that are similar to a UTI. So I, I rule that out. The other thing I also check, which is not something that I think uh, the primary care physicians are trained uh, to think about as much is something called urea plasma and mycoplasma. These are small atypical organisms that we, you know, are probably somewhat normal pathogens on our genitalia, but can get into the urinary tract, into the urethra, and may mimic UTI symptoms. And those organisms should be treated with a slightly, usually a slightly different type of antibiotic that we use. So you, they don't, that those organisms aren't going to show up on a routine culture. You kind of have to send, usually you send some like a PCR test to look for their DNA because they're super small organisms. Uh, so I rule that out. The other thing is, you know, rule out, you may need to rule out anatomic abnormalities. Is there something in the bladder that's making this irritated, like a bladder stone or God forbid a bladder tumor? Most of the time, that is not the case. I want to be clear. Majority okay. of people don't have those things, okay? Vast majority. But you may need to rule that out, particularly if somebody's had a history of surgery that was near or around or in the bladder. You want to rule something out um, inside the bladder. And then there's the, I hate saying this word, but the dreaded, you know, complex. It shouldn't be dreaded completely, but the complex interstitial cystitis, okay, which is basically um, a disease that we are still learning about that can affect the bladder um, and cause pain, symptoms of pain with urination or pain with a full bladder, frequent urination, pelvic pain sometimes goes along with it. Think of it, think about it like irritable bowel but for your bladder. Mm, okay. I asked, you know, different people to let me know the types of questions that they were have. And I yeah. I got like frequent urination, but unable to empty the bladder totally. Hmm. What types of things would cause that? Well, first of all, when somebody says I go frequently and I feel like I'm not emptying, just because you feel like you're not emptying doesn't mean you aren't emptying. Okay. Because what I will see probably at half of the time or more is that the reason why patients feel they're not emptying is just because they have to go. They feel an urge to go so often. Okay. So it's that urge to go that makes them feel like, well, gosh, I guess I must not be emptying because I just went. But when you check them objectively, they do empty their bladder. Okay. Then you just focus on what, you know, 
this persistent or frequent urge, okay? Think of urge in urology. We're talking about that just sensation that I got to pee, okay? Which is different than somebody who's like, I got to pee right now. I'm going to pee my pants and wet my pants, which is urgency, where you like have to go now or you're going to have an accident. So a frequent urge, you know, may be somebody who's needs to change what they're eating or drinking. You know, if you're love coffee, tea, and all these other stuff, barely drinking water, well, yeah, you're going to have a frequent urge. I find that, a, you know, maybe it's somebody who's very, has a lot of bowel problems, particularly if you have constipation. That can re- increase your urge to urinate. You know, a full rectum or a full colon can press or can kind of stimulate the bladder. I also will find a lot of patients who have a lot of anxiety or stress Mm. Will it'll go along with that? So I so you know there's growing sense and belief that stress and anxiety can increase your bladder kind of just um, sensation like sensory and so or you could just have overactive bladder. You know somebody whose bladder just contracts unintentionally and they feel mm. they need to go and they have to go kind of rush there. If you truly don't empty your bladder completely, then that's definitely a lesser common condition. But if you don't empty your bladder completely, the most common cause of that in women, I would say, is probably pelvic floor dysfunction. Okay. Where your pelvic floors, subconsciously most of the time, don't relax like they're supposed to when it's time to pee. So when you pee, the first thing that's supposed to happen is your pelvic floor is supposed to relax. Almost like it's like, ah, okay. And then your bladder (laughs) contracts and pulls urine out. Well, some women will get on the get on this toilet and their pelvic floor contracts. And it's not like they are consciously saying, ha ha, I want to not pee. So I'm going to, you know, contract my muscles. It's a probably a learned behavioral behavior that's subconscious. Why it's developed, we don't always know in people. But that dysfunctional voiding can make urine difficult to empty like it should. And so we tell that patient to go and do physical therapy or something called biofeedback where you have to relearn how to relax those muscles. That's probably the most common cause I see in women. Maybe there's an anatomic reason why you're not emptying. This is much less common. Maybe you have a narrowing or what we call a stricture in your urethra. So like scar tissue or something that's blocking the flow that's creating a narrowed passage of urine. Or you have, you know, something in the vagina that's compressing the urethra that's causing it not to pee or empty. Uh, For instance, prolapse, where you have a hernia of one of your pelvic organs coming in the vagina, your uterus or your rectum or your bladder. And that's creating this kind of physiologic, this kind of anatomic blockage of the opening of the urethra. So, um, and then there's others too. You know, you can have a neurologic condition that affects your emptying. Um, Wow. Yeah. Wow, it's just it's just so much more complex than it I is. thought. It's just so many different things that could cause the same types of things. Correct. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. Yeah, it can get pretty complex. It can get yes, pretty complex. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's why I'm glad there's specialists like you out there that can kind of crack the code because yes, <laughs> it seems very difficult. Yeah. I say that we're like really fancy plumbers. Like I tell people that. <laughs> That's what I, that's what you, they're like, what is your knowledge? And like, we're really, really fancy plumbers, you know. Some of the stuff is, you know, more complex, but we basically are like fancy 
you know, plumbers. So. Okay. So I know we have to work on making sure we drink extra water, making sure we're taking, we're eating the right types of vegetables and stuff. I know we talked about some things that we could take out if they're causing problems. Are yeah. there some special good ones that we could be making sure that we put in? Well, honestly, the only like foods that we would generally say, hey, maybe you should drink more of is the lemon. Okay. okay? Because okay. of that citrate, it, it has citrate, which is a stone inhibitor. That's, gotcha. you know, um, and so we'll... Sometimes we'll have to do what's called a 24-hour urine test where we have to, uh, these are in patients who've had recurrent stones, and that 24-hour urine that they'll give us, we'll analyze it. And if the analysis shows that they're excreting a low amount of citrate, then we definitely want to put that back in. And we can purge the patient to do that naturally by, again, more lemon, lemonade, lemon juice, whatever. Sometimes we have to actually prescribe a medication that has citrate in it to increase that. Wow. Oh, yeah. You don't want that. I've, I got yeah. trigger right there. I've had a 25-hour unit before, not oh, with have? kidney stones, <laughs> um, but I have a lupus nephritis. Oh. So, and that was just like so humbling yes. to get, because I didn't understand what a 25-hour urine was. Like, I mean, yeah. it's in the name, but I just, I don't know. Yeah. I just didn't get it. Yeah. So when I Until went to go did. and they gave me this jug, I was like, what's this? What are you doing? Like, What's this happening is what you here? pee in. <laughs> right. And I'm like, wait. <laughs> and I'm like, so they're like, oh, you can put it in the refrigerator. Excuse me? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. That so please, be... everyone, uh, yeah. get the lemon in. You don't, you don't want to get to the point where that is causing you to have to have a jug of your own urine for 24 hours. <laughs> that, that's, this is the word to the wise, guys. <laughs> Listen to your friend. Okay. Yep. Well, thank you for that. Did you have anything else you'd like to share? Um, no, we, we did a great job here. I mean, we touched on like two of the very most common things that we see. UTIs, bladder infections, kidney stones. We did a little bit of like overactive bladder type things. I think this is great help, and I'm hoping it helps a lot of women out there and men out there. I'll end on this. You know, majority of what we see in urology is so common. I want anybody to know who's suffering with some of these symptoms that you are not alone. You are not alone. You are not alone. Patients I see, they're like, I'm too young for this, or I'm too I maybe I'm just old, and this is how it's supposed to be. You are not alone, and you don't have to just suffer in silence. You might be able to get help. Um, so don't be afraid to speak up. Talk to your primary physician. If you think maybe you'd benefit from urology specialist point of view, you know, talk to your primary physician. Ask what they think and ask for a referral. If you have a PPO, you can just find one of us and ask. You know, you just never know. All right. Thank you yeah. so much for that. Now, yeah. if we so happen to be in the Chicagoland area, how can we get in touch with you? Oh, great. So I work at DuPage Medical Group. You can find and make an appointment with me easily online at our website, which is www.dupage, D-U-P-A-G-E, medicalgroup.com, all one word, dupagemedicalgroup.com. And you can just search for Millhouse with one L, M-I-L-H-O-U-S-E. I'm the only Millhouse. I think I'm the only Dr. Millhouse in like the state, at least. 
Um, So (laughs) if you Google Dr. Milhouse with one L, you probably will get me. And that's how you could find me, you know, if you want to see me in professional uh, type of arena. The other thing is I am on Instagram. And so anybody can find me there, wherever you are in the world, at at Dr. Milhouse. Again, that's M-I-L-H-O-U-S-E, at Dr. Milhouse uh, on Instagram. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Bree. Yeah, this was a pleasure. I don't know about y'all, but I'm definitely stepping it up with my lemon water, and I'm going to get that supplement she talked about. If you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. If you're not following this show, go ahead and fix that. We're on Yo, This Can't Be Life. If you enjoyed this show, do me a favor and rate or review on Apple Podcasts. Of course, we're available on all major platforms, including Spotify, Stitcher, and Google. Go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Until next time.